You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, and it's Sarah. And today we are going to talk about the case of Barbara Ann Mangus. Um, so first of all, shout out to one of our listeners, Jackie, who suggested this case through the website. Um, thanks for listening and throwing us new names and cases to investigate and cover. Uh, now, Jackie worked with Barbara and, you know, like I said, we're covering Barbara's story today. So I thought it was kind of cool that we had a connection there. And Jackie, hopefully this kind of does justice to what you were hoping to see from the episode. Um, really, these requests help us kind of remember that it's not just a podcast or just a story, but like these are real people that had real lives. And I know we talk about that a lot, but having the requests and stories come in from you guys, the listeners, really helps us keep our focus on that aspect of everything. So let's dive in and see what we can uncover about Barbara. Um, also throwing this out here before we dive too deep, um, there is um, an eight-part series published by the Daily American, and it was also the same series that was published in Our Town, um, and they printed it between May and July of 2020. It was fascinating to read. There's a lot of details in there that I'm not going to necessarily discuss just for the sake of brevity, but also um, there are just so many characters at play that it's a lot to throw out when you're listening to something rather than just kind of reading an article. So if you do want some more details on that, I highly suggest uh, taking a look at that. It's our first eight sources linked on the website. So um, I, and honestly, I just found it from doing a simple Google search of her name. If this episode catches your interest, I highly recommend checking out those first eight sources that are all part of the Daily American. Um, I did have to subscribe in order to see all of them, but I think I paid like a dollar for a three month subscription. So, I mean, if you're interested in reading more about these, it's, it's worth it. There's a lot of information in there. Now, something that I think is interesting, which was noted, one of the articles that I talked about, I think it was the third one, um, the reporter reached out to a man who had posted photos on a site for Barbara. And when the reporter reached out to this man, he responded and said, quote, I don't think the person is qualified to investigate such matters, unquote. Um, now, this was the reporter had reached out to this person personally and then the reporter responded to the entire like daily american okay company like just said you know hey someone reached out to me from here i don't remember who it was i'm sure you know who it was but um i'm not responding to them and i don't think the person is qualified to investigate such matters wow yeah so there's actually a couple paragraphs where they printed like his entire response to them and i i don't think it's as much that it's like sketchy i don't want to be involved blah 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 i think it's 
more and he he even said this in his response i think it's more that it was a news agency rather than law enforcement and he was just afraid that the media would take something and spin it which can't say i blame him for like yeah it happens all the time right right so that's kind of an an interesting thought but i definitely recommend reading those articles so talking a little bit about barbara mangus uh she was 21 years old she was a wife she had been married for a couple years and she had a three-year-old son um we'll talk about her son a little bit later on um he kind of comes into some discussions in the 21st century once he's a little bit older on December 14th, 1974, she and her husband had attended a Christmas party held by her employer, which was Bethlehem Steel. And, you know, the steel industry, especially in Pennsylvania, but really in in Cambria County and that general area was huge. Um, so that was, you know, most people worked in the steel industry. So she worked there and... Um, she had attended their Christmas party on this night. Shortly after midnight, she had had a spat with her husband. And eventually it came out that it was because he was spending time at the bar rather than at their table. And she was getting frustrated by like, you know, hey, we're at the Christmas party together and you keep walking away and it'd be nice to share this with you. Well, it could be she was embarrassed that he was drinking so much, like, at that time. That's true. There's so much, like, worry about what the public thinks about each other. I don't know. No, that's... But back then, everyone's, like, super modest or, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I could totally see that, too. I didn't even think of that, but it would make sense. Um, Now, I guess they had a little bit of this, you know, spat argument whatever you want to call it and she actually left and started walking home and he had said later i guess that she had thought he would follow her but he said later like he didn't realize she had actually left like he thought she just you know got upset went to the bathroom to clear her head and then you know when like 15 20 30 minutes went by and she wasn't there that's when he was like crap what if she actually did leave like she didn't just go somewhere to sort her thoughts out and calm down so she walked from where the christmas party was and she was about four or five miles from her house from where the party was okay she was seen by police officers and civilians who had noted various locations and times that they had seen her that's crazy so many people had noticed her i mean this is like at midnight yeah <laughs> like I don't know. That's just a, a random time for a lot of people to be yeah. taking notice, especially since she's walking in the dark. I don't know. Yeah. And it it might have been because she was dressed up. She had on a long green dress and like an overcoat. So, oh, maybe, so maybe it was more noticeable than usual. I right. Say. Right. That's I mean, maybe because I mean, I could tell you I walk by people all the time and they don't necessarily stand out to me. I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, there had to be something that really stood out. Maybe it was the time. Maybe it was what she was wearing. Who knows? Hmm. Um, but 
she was actually offered a ride by a police officer and responded to him saying no, that she just wanted to walk home. Why? I would just take it. Four miles, four to five miles, that's a really long walk. I mean, I know being angry, but being, and she right. most likely was probably in like heels or kitten heels or uncomfortable shoes that you're only wearing for like nice events. Why wouldn't she just take that? That just blows my mind. I don't know. And it's the middle of December after midnight. Yeah, so you're freezing. Like, I'd be frozen. Everything off. <laughs> yeah. So um, there was a quote in here from the article just kind of telling the path that she most likely took. Um, and on our website, and Chelsea, if you scroll down to the bottom of the document, there's a map that shows where she was at different points and where she had been spotted. So Dang. the article did say <laughs> she would have to walk down Frankstown Road across Johnstown and into the West End. She lived near Garfield Junior High along Corinne Avenue. A couple people saw her walking on Roosevelt Boulevard and into Cambria City down Broad Street, maybe as far as Fairfield Avenue. Indeed, she had walked that distance to within two blocks of her home. So they were able to corroborate the story that she had gotten to within two blocks of her house that night. Isn't that crazy? I heard, now I don't know how 100% accurate it is, but I hear like most times incidents typically happen at your house, like car accidents are more likely, I think like 85% going to happen within five minutes of your house or all yeah. the abductions that we've talked about, like one to f five blocks away from your house. Like, yeah. I don't know if you just let down your guard because you're near where you think is safe or you think, you know, the area, around. the I people, yeah, that type yeah. of thing. But the you've heard that too, right? Yeah. 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 It blows my mind. And I definitely think it's letting your guard down sort of thing, um, especially with driving. Like, you know, I know the roads near my house. I know where the driveways are. I know. So I know where to expect a car to be or not to be. So I might drive differently in my own neighborhood than another one. So I okay, think, yeah. I think you're, you're definitely onto something there. So I have kind of a timeline of what happened that night. A lot of the times are kind of guesstimates though. Okay. Um, there wasn't really any specific you know like i couldn't take a picture of the person i saw on the street on my phone and you know timestamp it because it was 1974 so yeah. we know that she and her husband were at the christmas party together on the 14th at some point after midnight they had their little spat and she left the club where they had their party which was called this is it that's kind of cute <laughs> right um now Around 1.30 a.m., she was seen at what's called the Act 3 Diner along Market Street, and she was speaking to three unidentified men. She was seen there by a police officer, and we'll talk a little bit more about that sighting in a bit. Then around 1.50, the same officer spotted Barbara again. Now, the wording in the article wasn't entirely clear. It said that he went to a Sunoco gas station and had seen her again at 150. I don't know if that means he went to the gas station and then came back to the diner and she was still there at 150, or if it meant that he went to the gas station at 150 and she was there at the gas station at 150. Um, yeah. Just the wording of the sentence, I wasn't entirely sure and I couldn't find any formal documentation of it. So I'm thinking that she was probably at the gas station um, based on other stories, but 
I can't be entirely sure. Now, apparently he was about to get out of the car and talk to her at this point, but another call came in for him to respond to another location for a complaint. And then at some point after 1.30 a.m., we don't know when, she was spotted within two blocks of her home. Now, I just want to say something. I know you know that I called the cops recently on someone. I called the cops on a neighbor. And this was during the day. The cops came to talk to me and they asked me what they looked like. I gave them a description. It was completely wrong. I even had a video. I didn't like look at the video before they came because it was so fast. Uh, how do people do it at night, especially if you're not like 100% an acquaintance? I was like, I literally just watched them for five minutes and I still got their description wrong. The only thing I could, I could remember the most insignificant things that would not help you find a person. But for me, it was important. I don't know. I just. Yeah, no, no, I can get that. I mean, I think all the time, like if I had to describe someone, how would I do it? And I actually, I think it's because I worked at the bank. And so I was trained on, you know, like if anyone ever comes in to commit a robbery, like you need to, you know, focus on certain things. So there are times where, especially if I, like if I am walking alone or if I feel sketched out by somebody, I'll start noticing certain things and just repeating them in my brain. Oh, really? And, but even still, like, you know, later on, if I try to describe, you know, the creepy person at Target to my husband, he'll say like, OK, well, you know, like, what did they look like? And I'll basically remember male or female. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's it. Like, so even me trying to study people, it's like good grief, Sarah. Like, you can't even remember when you're trying to force yourself to remember. So, yeah, it's crazy to me when people are able to remember those sort of details. Not that I don't believe them when they say they remember them. My ADHD brain just can't fathom actually remembering a detail for multiple hours. I think I just focus on all the wrong things, like things that would bother me, like all my pet peeves. Yeah. Like that's all I could think about when I was watching them. Yeah. <laughs> before. And it was like, it was stupid things. Like, and, the, and I told the cops the things and they're like that, does not help us. I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> this is not helpful I was, like, well, he, I was like, here's a video. Here's what they actually look like. If you really want it. <laughs> here's a much better visual than what I tried to give you. Here, yeah, have It this. was embarrassing. So embarrassing. Oh, it happens. Police see much more embarrassing things than that, so. Oh my gosh, they, they came so fast. I was embarrassingly in my nightgown when they came and i was like oh god and they're like at least you're not naked i was like that, that <laughs> is a good thing yes and then they heard landon screaming because i i've told you my he self stims mm -hmm. and he gets excited so he'll scream and i'm like oh my god they're like is everything all right in there i was like i swear i didn't call on myself <laughs> I promise. And then they like, I promise. They peeked in the window and they saw him. He was just like doing his usual thing. And they're like, oh, yeah. okay. I'm like, yes, please just leave now. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So back to our timeline from the night. There was also a conversation at some point between Barbara and a different officer, although there was never a specific time that was given for that. Um, the officer spotted Barbara at Thackeray's. And the officer pulled into the parking lot there and asked what she was up to. Um, she just told him she was heading home from the Christmas party. And when he offered her a ride, she rejected it. Um, so was that, so did she get offered a ride twice or that was the officer? That was the officer that had offered okay, her sorry. a ride. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. And 
the way that it was written up in the article, I think that happened before the other officer saw her at the gas station. Um, but I'm not entirely sure because there was no time associated with that one. Okay. Now, the other piece that we do have a time associated for is a story that comes from a man named Walt Drojak. He was in a band. He had played a gig that night and he went to his band manager's home to get his payment. He said it was after 1.30 and that he had followed his manager to his home in Coopersdale for his payment. Then he came back to Johnstown. He stayed at the manager's house for about 10 or 15 minutes and said before he left Johnstown, he saw Barbara walking in the area of the Penelec office buildings on Broad Street, which on the map that we have on the site, you can see when she was spotted on Broad Street. Um, and then when he returned, when he came back into town, he saw her in a parking lot near an entrance of Bethlehem Steel, which again was her workplace. He said he did have kind of that little gut twinge of like, maybe you should offer her a ride. But since he didn't recognize her, it was really late. He did not stop and pick her up. Um, he told reporters, quote, I was married and I wasn't going to pick somebody up. It just seemed strange. So, no, I didn't ask her if she wanted a ride. Though it seems likely that she probably would have rejected it. If she rejected it from a police officer, it's no doubt she would have rejected it from right. a stranger. Right. And I think it's important to share this part of the case, too, just because so often a lot of us have almost that, oh, I should have done more in this situation or, you know, someone goes missing and, oh, I think I did see them. I should have offered them a ride. Like, no, you you don't typically offer rides to every single person you see on the street. Like, you're not a bad person if you don't offer a ride to someone who ends up going missing. Right. Like, yeah. you're a bad person if you abduct that person. Um, well, yes, but just not picking up someone that's walking doesn't make you a, a bad character. Um, now, he did say that once he realized it was likely her, once she was declared missing, um, he did call police and tell them, but he never received a call back. Really? Yeah. Ugh. So that's pretty much all we know about her whereabouts that night. Um, and it's kind of a. We think she was here at this time, but we might not even have all the times exactly correct. Um, so. And that really matters, like down to the yeah. minutes. It matters. Yeah. Yeah. So the next evening, December 15th, um, which, of course, was then the day after the Christmas party, her husband officially reported her missing. Um, despite trying to find her and help return her home, her body was found on December 31st, 1974, in a wooded area that, according to locals, is not easily accessible. And apparently it was only accessible through uh, four-wheel drive vehicles. Um, the articles from the Daily American do mention that it should have been... It, sorry. The articles from the Daily American mentioned that it most likely was a local resident or someone that knew the area that dumped her body. But, like, how many times do we see that and it's not necessarily someone local? I It makes me think of about that guy who would, like, scope out areas and then, like, bury kill buckets in, like, random areas. You never heard of that guy? No. 
Yeah, he would travel all over the U.S. for, I think, work, and he would just scout out uh, along, like, trails or, like, random spots, and he'd find a place. I don't, I forget what his criteria was to pick a place, and he'd bury these um, buckets with, like, his, like, kill set or whatever. Oh. Yeah. And it took forever to find him because, like, it wasn't always in the same spot. Right. So... That's crazy. No, I've never heard of that. I'll have to look that up now. But they did say they think it was someone local. And it was also noted that it looked like she had been pushed out of the car. I don't I don't know how you're just pushing someone out of a car if their body is already dead. Like, if you're a single person, how do you open a door and push someone out? But I don't know. Maybe that's just my tired brain not quite wrapping around that. They did also discover that she had likely been killed that day. So that means she was alive for roughly two weeks after going missing. So she had likely... awful. Yeah. She had probably just been abducted and then held on to for whatever reasons. And well, sometimes I killed. feel like people might not, they fantasize about it and then they do it and then they're like, oh shit, what now? <laughs> like right. they just wanted to abduct, but then they can't just easily let her go without her saying anything. Right. And then it comes down to like awful things like this. It sucks. Yeah. When they got to the crime scene, it wasn't necessarily handled super well. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more of that later. But there were various body fluids found at the crime scene. Samples were taken of all of it. But back then, apparently all they really could do was type it. And they could either say like it matched her DNA type or it didn't. So it all came back as the same type. So it doesn't necessarily mean it was hers, but at that time, there was just no other way to separate the DNA to to figure out whose it was. Um, And as far as I know, that DNA evidence no longer exists. Oh, Um, that really sucks. Yeah. So at one point, there was an investigator that went looking for the information that was trying to find whatever tests were run on the DNA or whatever may still be existing. Um, And they found absolutely zero documentation of it ever existing. So that's sketchy. Also, based on the autopsy, um, police did reveal that she was strangled using a cloth belt from her overcoat. So kind of goes back to what you were saying where someone maybe ended up in like an oh crap moment of like, what am I going to do? And, you know, they didn't hide murder kits in the woods. So I I looked it up. It's Israel Keys. I know you have have to have heard of him. Okay. I don't know his case super well, but I've then I recognize the name, but it kind of seems like it might have just been an opportune like, oh, you've got this overcoat on and, you know, there's a cloth belt here. and cloth, well, not that fingerprints were that big of a thing then anyway, but cloth isn't going to keep the same, like, fingerprints or impressions that, you know, other items would. So one question that was investigated pretty quickly was just trying to figure out who she was with at that diner that I mentioned before. So the name itself is pretty cool called the act three diner. It's because it was located next to two movie theaters and the movie theaters were called act one and act two. 
So <laughs> that's pretty cute. I think that is awesome. Like that's typical small town America stuff. Like, yeah, of course, of course, it's next to an act one and act two. So you're going to call it act three. Um, the diner was known to be just like an all night sort of place, which I kind of feel like most diners are, you know, growing up, we always had that diner near our high school that we would go to at three o'clock in the morning if we wanted to. Um, an article did come out on January 9th, 1975. So we're looking about a week and a half after her body was discovered from the Latrobe Bulletin that read, quote, three men linked to strangling, unquote, and then very rapidly pushes out a story that witnesses saw Barbara speaking to these men in the diner around 1230 or 1.30, like I had mentioned before in the timeline. And... Um, it was linking them to her murder or at least linking them to just being persons of interest that they would want to talk to and get more information. Now, Pennsylvania State Police Corporal Matthew Auker, who was working the case in 2020 when all of these articles came out from the Daily American, said that there were a lot of conflicting stories that eventually surfaced from these people at the diner. Some say that they were all there together and then left together with Barbara. Some say that the group of men left after they saw Barbara leave the diner. And then others say that the group left before Barbara did and that she spent some time at the diner alone after they had left. So, again, there's a lot of conflicting stories and, you know, they don't have surveillance footage to go back on to pull and look at, you know, when people left. But, of course, we do know about the sightings from after the Act 3 diner. So we know that she most likely did leave alone and not with those men because she was seen alone later. Okay. Now I'm also kind of curious and I couldn't find information out there. I'm, I mean, I have some suspicions based on some things we'll see in the autopsy later, but I do have to kind of wonder what was going on in those two weeks between the party and her death. Um, was it what you mentioned before where someone just wanted to abduct and then, the reality of what they did set in and they were just buying time to try to figure out what to do or did, you know, something else happen. Um, and I think about a lot of the cases that we cover where um, there are missing persons reports and the victim ends up being dead. I feel like so often we see those and they've, you know, died within the, first couple days after they were reported missing so this kind of stuck out to me that she was alive for two weeks and then when she was found you know she had likely only been dead you know within that day like where are you keeping her that she's not making noise or trying to get someone else's attention right like that just i don't know it it's it's weird to me and i couldn't find any details on it but I would I'd be very curious to know what was going on, which, of course, since we don't know who is responsible, we likely will never know what actually happened. But it was just one of those questions that popped into my mind. Now, on February 14th, 1975, just shy of the two month mark from her disappearance and only 44 days into the homicide investigation, the Tyrone Daily Herald reported, quote, all leads in the investigation into the strangulation death of Mrs. Barbara Ann Mangus have been exhausted, unquote. So that being said, the man that I mentioned at the top of 
the episode who told the reporter basically to just like leave him alone was mentioned by name in the article. So I was kind of curious and just did like a Google search of his name to see if anything suspicious popped up. Like maybe he really was trying to hide because he was involved. I don't see any sort of connection um, really other than the fact that he had uploaded some pictures to that one site. I mean, there, there didn't seem to be a, you know, giant red flag that he should be investigated further. So I really do think that he just didn't want to be misconstrued in the media, which is completely fair with the way that, especially in 2020, the way that media was going, I definitely do not blame him. (laughs) There was, um, there was, there's a show, not a show. There is a series on Netflix about, um, trial by media. Yes. That, and it is in, tense there were some cases i've never even heard of before i guess because it was all like before i was born but holy snap it is intense it's really interesting gosh if i explain her you'll know who she is she's older she has blonde hair with bangs and she's mouthy and loud and she would spread all this misinformation but then never would apologize or recant anything that she said that was wrong and she was like really big in that um that case with the pregnant woman Lacey peterson um it was that reporter woman who okay. made like a lot of stuff do you know who i'm talking about do yeah you know? yeah oh my gosh she she was in almost every single one of those um episodes in uh the trial by media thing i need to rewatch that i watched it a while ago but Ugh, yeah it's it's fascinating but i think they talked about scott peterson's case in an episode of that show didn't they oh did they i'm not sure i've seen Maybe i've not. seen that case covered on so many yeah. things i can't even keep up with what where it's at <laughs> that's honestly true. that's true that i mean that's a a big one though that media got involved in it just oh my gosh i i am so on on like the edge of that like part of me doesn't think it was him because there was so much stuff that wasn't actually mentioned or looked into because they were so sure it was him and yeah i don't know i if i could have answers that would be one of the things i want answers on that's one of those cases i'd love to know the truth of for sure like you know a lot of people always go to john benet ramsey and like yeah yeah. i feel like i pretty much already know the truth in that one i want to know what happened to Lacey peterson like i want to know if scott was really involved but anyway um back to this case (laughs) um we did recently get some feedback that using like the Facebook theories, Reddit theories, all of those sorts of things is a pointless venture. Um, so if you do not like the Reddit, Facebook theories, etc., cetera, um, you can skip forward a little bit in this episode. But I do want to counter that saying that a lot of these theories are kind of out there, but um, sometimes that's what you need in a cold case that's this old so i do want to talk about some of those out there theories and second of all we tell you when we're talking about it like you can easily skip a lot of us do it at the end you know what i mean so you can just stop it i don't know i think it's good and bad because you have local people giving you their honest opinion sometimes and sometimes it can just be people that want to be involved in something or have people talk to them but it's always good to have all those opinions because you know for sure the police have to look into it too so i mean right right and our i mean our goal essentially is to get information out about the cases we are not investigators that are solving them 
So um, really anything that I can ever find online, I always like to try to include. So um, now really there was not a whole lot of information that even came into investigators in this case. So there really aren't many leads. I mean, we already saw, you know, within 44 days, all the leads had dried up. So um, now there was a detective that worked for the Johnstown Police Department who said he got one or two tips, passed them along. But after making the reports so many years ago, he said he doesn't remember the details of the tips. And there was another detective that noted that he feels at least one left one lead was left ignored intentionally. So that being said, the big Reddit theory, although it wasn't necessarily Reddit, it was just kind of an out there theory from online, is that there was potentially a racial aspect to this crime or that it may be linked to a string of crimes that had a racial aspect to them. Now, this theory says that within a seven-year time span, there were four murders committed in the Johnstown area, which in 2022 doesn't seem like a whole lot. But even if there were four murders committed in my hometown, which is arguably smaller than Johnstown, but still, in a seven-year time span, like, that would definitely stand out. So, especially back in the 70s, I mean, that would definitely stand out. So, Barbara was the first in this string in 1974. Then Maxine Ellen Andrews was murdered on November 6, 1978. And then a couple years later, on June 15th, 1980, Arthur Dale Smothers and his girlfriend Kathleen McCoola were shot and killed. Now, the latter of these murders was that of an interracial couple. And there was a thought that maybe all of them were connected. Um, I don't know how exactly they're tying Barbara to the other cases other than just the location and time span. I couldn't find any more details on that. Um, but in 1998, serial killer Joseph Paul Franklin did confess to the murder of the couple. However, no one was ever actually convicted of the murders. And I mean, we've seen examples before of serial killers who just start to claim any crime that happened in an area that they were sort of close to. So it's one of those confessions that you can't necessarily take at its at its word. So um, he was then executed. Franklin was executed in 2013 for other murders that he was convicted of. Um, and he was a known white supremacist. So how does that tie into this? The closest tie that I could find was from those Daily American articles that I mentioned. There's a witness who apparently didn't want to give too much information and when they reached out to this person the only the only thing that they said in response was quote somebody got a racial slur for running watch yourselves pig dogs so they're you know kind of saying like somebody got a black person for running and i'm trying I guess just like somebody got them, like they napped them, they murdered them, they whatever, um, got this person for running and then said, watch yourselves, pig dogs, 
So I'm just assuming that's supposed to be extra derogatory because pigs is derogatory and dogs is derogatory. So if you put them together, I guess it's just like double derogatory. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard. Want to make sure they're getting their point across. Right. Um, and I even tried like Googling Urban Dictionary, like that phrase with the two of them together. And I couldn't find anything. So I'm just assuming it's like you crappy police officers, like you pig dogs, like you suck and you're a cop. So that's kind of how I'm taking that. Um, so it seemed kind of like a warning to the investigators, like, hey, don't get too close because you might be in danger which is kind of sketchy and leads into kind of the the biggest not official theory um but kind of the most common theory that i have found links right into that so obviously fingers were pointing in a few directions but as time has gone on theories are really beginning to converge into one thought and that thought is that someone within the police department was either responsible or knew intimate details of what was going on. So there, we've already discussed multiple weird things about this case, but there's a couple other weird things. Um, when she was initially examined, now this was just like at the crime scene when they did their initial investigation, um, it was very publicly announced that she was not a victim of sexual assault. Like before the autopsy was finished, before her body was even in a morgue to be autopsied, um, they were saying, you know, there's no evidence of any sort of assault. Um, and, you know, we don't think that that was a motive here and yada, yada, yada. But when the autopsy was completed, they did say that there was evidence of sexual contact. Now, there was no proof necessarily that it was assault versus consensual. However, being missing for two weeks before turning up dead, I'm not sure how much of that could be consensual. I agree with that. Um, seems unlikely, not impossible, but definitely unlikely so i couldn't find any official documents but um it does seem like they very publicly said no 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 that wasn't a factor and then very quietly the coroner was like um actually and just never got reported on again <clears throat> now in the in the fifth installment of the daily american article series that i've mentioned there's a note that the coroner mentioned to a colleague, quote, there were some other things that had been mishandled, unquote, but never went into any more detail. And there were a lot of claims made specifically against the mayor at the time. Um, and that all came out in the fourth article. There were a bunch of claims about the mayor. And we'll come back to that thought in a little bit. Now, in very typical PA small town fashion, Barbara's neighbor's son became a police officer because everybody knows somebody everywhere. And he was taking a class through the academy that discussed crime scene and evidence protection. 
And in that class, the instructor actually specifically mentioned Barbara's case and said that, quote, the first responders that arrived to that crime scene drove practically right up to the body and destroyed some tire track evidence that they believe might have been helpful in solving that case. Ugh. Yeah. Um, a woman who was studying criminology was called to the scene of the crime, and she noted that, quote, there were a lot of police officers there moving things, touching things. Cars were there that covered up tracks, cigarette butts that were laying around, and the coat had been moved. Someone had picked up the coat, placed it back down again. Unquote. So just kind of what we've seen in a lot of cases where they just didn't take care of things and now we're left with these unsolved crimes um now back to the idea of a possible sexual assault the same person the female that was on the uh crime scene said that barbara's bra was twisted in the back at the clasp and i i can't imagine and she also said she couldn't imagine someone intentionally twisting the back of their bra strap before clasping it like i don't even like bra clasps when they're flat let alone if that material was twisted on my spine like i would not enjoy that um now nobody ever did anything with that observation she did tell you know she reported it but nothing ever came of it and the autopsy report only noted that the bra was intact um, and not that it was twisted. I just don't think that. And most likely the person doing the autopsy was a man, especially back then. That does not like mean anything to them. Right. Honestly, I don't think they would understand the uncomfortableness of that. Yeah. To even make it even notable for them, which is really frustrating. Um, like sometimes they need to have or know something that equates to the same level for them to really understand. Right. Like, I don't know why take your time out to say something if it didn't mean something. I don't know. I hate that. But right. You know, well, I think noting it in the report is just like, you know, she had on this dress and you know if she had underwear on or not if she had a bra on or not were any of the clothes messed up like i think it's just a standard like procedure that they have to put on all of those reports so maybe that's why it was noted but as i mentioned before um that one article was really mentioning the mayor and it really starts to kind of throw him under the bus as a big suspect hmm. so as the daily american published the fourth part of this series which is that article about the mayor um barbara's nephew actually called and left a voicemail for the paper asking them to call him so whenever they called him, he told them that one of the sources from part four was not being entirely forthcoming. Um, and then if you want to read more details about this conversation, parts seven and eight of the series both talk about um, the, the conversation that was had with her nephew. But the nephew, Tom McMillan Jr., had said that his family started receiving death threats as his dad kept digging into Barbara's murder. Um, so his dad was barbara's brother so he's digging into his sister's murder and then he his wife and his kids start getting these death threats and uh the letters were telling tom senior that if he did not stop digging that his wife would be killed and 
And Tom Jr. also recounted a story from his dad where an investigator allegedly told his father, quote, we know who did it, but we can't prove it, quote. When his dad pressed for more details, he was told, quote, it's one of our own and it's possible that there is a second one involved, but we cannot verify that, quote. Tom then did clarify that one of our own meant a city cop because they had um, Johnstown police as well as Pennsylvania State Police involved. That is absolutely awful, if it's true. Yeah. So um, it apparently seems to be that it was a Johnstown City cop that was involved, according to this story. But we all know, especially back then, there's not much to really vet the people that are coming, True. you know, in and out of the police force. And there's a lot of messed up people, especially during those times that used it to their advantage to be able to get their fix of whatever that could be. And being a cop yeah. gave them that access that they couldn't get otherwise. Um, and there's so many stories like that, honestly. Oh, yeah. There's a ton. Um, and it's it's less frequent now, like you said, because there's a lot more of a kind of screening process that you have to go through. Um, but even still, but it still happens. Awful people still get through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and those are the people that you have to be most worried about because they can put oh, yeah. on such a good front. But then like deep down, they are the worst people ever. They're like like narcissists. Like they put on this perfect front and yes, they've got this totally different motive behind what they're doing. I think I've said it on the podcast before, but my son is very naive and trusting mm -hmm. and he'll always ask me, you know, because we watch horror together. He goes, mom, are monsters real? And I say, they're real, but they are not what you think of. They're the people in this world that you'll encounter that will be the worst people than these made up monsters right. on tv and he always looks at me weird like yeah okay i'm like yeah okay you'll get it someday you'll, one day you'll understand what mom's saying yeah but yeah. i mean you're absolutely right and i think i've said it before too but it makes me think of sword and scale right like that's his tagline is <laughs> you know the monsters are real yes so i honestly didn't think about that until now i mean i listen to it all the time yeah but you know yeah. Sometimes you don't put things together. So when they continued this conversation, um, they told, so Tom was continuing to talk to the reporter and he said that he and Jimmy Mangus, who was um, Barbara's now adult son, visited the Ebensburg PSP barracks in either 99 or 2000. And at that time, an investigator did confirm that the prime suspect was a police officer. The investigator would not say who it was, only that the officer had died. Um, and Tom basically said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, he actually had also added that when his father told police about the letters, the death threats that they were getting, and the police started investigating it, the letters stopped. But once the police stopped investigating because nothing else had come in, the letters started again. And there were four letters in total. So I think, you know, when when Tom found out that the main suspect was a police officer and he said that makes sense, I think there was a lot of that 
thought in his mind already because of some of these little details. Um, they also told the reporter that there was a tree near Barbara's body was found that had some paint transfer on it. Um, they were told that it was sent to the lab, but then when they followed up, um, they were told that it wasn't there. They were hoping to test the paint and be able to match it maybe to a particular year or make or model of car, um, you know, like different car manufacturers have very specific paint colors that you can only get, you know, on a Ford or a Dodge or whatever. Um, so they were hoping they'd be able to match it, but since it was completely gone, that hope completely diminished. As it turns out, it was a blue paint that was very similar in shade to that of the Johnstown Police Department vehicles. And apparently, like, they've always been that same shade of blue. So in the 70s, it would have matched as well. So it does very much seem to me like there was definitely police involvement, even though that person that has died was only a suspect and was never convicted. It seems like, I don't know, maybe it was him and they just didn't want to do it. Um, now I really hope that there is some more information out there to bring some closure to the family. Um, but obviously with so many aspects of the crime scene being contaminated, witnesses not wanting to speak up the warnings that are being given to people investigating it. Um, plus just having, you know, different people that have retired or been deceased and the fact that the main suspect was confirmed to have also been deceased. The hope for answers is really starting to dwindle. If you do have any information that you feel could help aid in this investigation and move it forward, you're asked to contact state police in Ebensburg at 814-471-6500. There is a $2,000 reward available. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.